friends to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Again, you are listening to the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. I am your host, Morris Beagle. Welcome to the show. Kicking off season four of the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. Hopefully, all of you out there are doing well and ready to take 2021 by the reins and make it the best year it can be. That is my goal, and I invite everyone listening to step up and be your best self as we come out of the craziest year most of us have probably ever been through. This is episode one of my new Volume Up podcast and the 37th episode under the Let's Talk Hemp Media umbrella. The format will be somewhat similar to last season, but I will be having a guest co-host each episode to switch it up this year. Best wishes to Rick Trojan, who co-hosted the show with me the last few years, and thanks to all the past guests who came on and shared their stories and experience with the industry. I am looking forward to talking with a lot of great people over the coming months. New episodes are going to be coming out on Thursday every other week, and I am going to do my best to stay consistent with that. This episode will broadcast on January 21st, and the next episode will be on February 4th. I have Josh Hendricks, formerly of CV Sciences and ex-president of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, joining me as a co-host, and we will be talking with Jonathan Miller of Frost Brown Todd and counsel to the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, along with Patrick Atagi from the National Industrial Hemp Council about their outlook for 2021 and beyond. For all you legislative and policy wonks, this should be a good episode to check out. But before we do that episode, we need to do this one. And I am happy to have Annie Rouse join me today to co-host and interview a couple excellent guests who will be discussing hemp grain and food for humans and animals, along with what I consider some very encouraging and hopeful news for the hemp industry. Annie Rouse is a Kentucky native, environmentalist, U.S. Fulbright scholar, an entrepreneur, a hemp advocate, a world traveler, a master in international environmental policy and business administration, an economist, an adventurer, a producer, and an investigative journalist. And she is coming up next. And here we are with the first episode of the Let's Talk Hemp podcast for Volume Up Season 4. I'm very honored to have my good friend Annie Rouse as my co-host for this first episode. And Annie has been around the scene for a long time. Think Hempy Thoughts, Friends of Hemp, Anavi Marketplace, OP Innovate, board member of the HIA, and many other things, as well as a podcast host for the Anslinger podcast. How are you doing, Annie? I'm great, Morris. How are you doing? doing good. So welcome to the new podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, excited to be here. Yeah, me too. We've got a couple of good guests coming up with Chad Rosen and Morgan Elliott, and we're going to talk about hemp grain and hemp food for humans and animals. All the good things that hemp brings beyond uh, what people already know, you know. Most people are familiar with the CBD market, but long before CBD for hemp, there was hemp grain and hemp fiber. So we'll be covering a lot of that during the course of this new podcast season. Thanks for doing that. Somebody needs to tell the story of the grain and the fiber. You know, it's kind of been left behind in the last five years of, of this industry. Well, everything is going to come full circle. Not, uh, oh, yes, definitely. It's, it's, it's on the rise. Well, why don't you let folks know what's up with you these days and how was 2020? You were on the road a lot. 
I, yeah, well, yeah, that, that was part of the original plan. My, my boyfriend and I had decided we were going to, since we both already worked remotely for, you know, several years prior to COVID, um, we had sold all of our possessions and we're going to live in different cities trying to figure out where we wanted to live long-term. Um, and I started in Arizona, loved Scottsdale. Then we went to uh, Colorado, right? as COVID was setting in. So it uh, completely changed our, our 2020 from that perspective. But I got to say, I'm actually kind of appreciative of 2020, which is, I, I would say not many people could say that, but um, I think it it's done really good things for the industry. It allowed, it allowed it to slow down. Um, and I think that that was really necessary for, especially on the CBD side for some shakeout to occur and, you know, just some people to kind of step back and and think about what the future looks like. Um, and I know it, it allowed me to, me to do that a lot. We were launching a couple of companies uh, in, in April of 2020. So that was interesting to say the least, but, you know, again, because of that slowdown, it allowed us to kind of catch up. It's kind of weird being in this industry for so long, much before anybody else really entered, but then still thinking that I had to catch up to where people were. That's how fast the industry was truly moving. So I really enjoyed 2020. <laughs> um, There's definitely but- highlights to 2020. It did give us a chance to reflect and not only about the hemp industry, but about society and systems and the way we manage our planet. So hopefully as we come out of this COVID cloud, we're a little bit more conscious and aware how we all individually impact society and our planet and and what we can individually do to to make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, I I would say it definitely gave that reflection period for people. and, And the fact that you know, we had those moments, those photos of the, you know, LA highway that was just desolate of cars. I mean, that's such a powerful uh, picture and, and you know, the stories of dolphins returning into, into habitats and just those things that, that were really um, unimaginable uh, prior to COVID. But then of course, you've got the single use plastics, you know, prior to COVID, we were really on an, on a decline of single use plastics and people were coming into conscious with, with that impact. And now it's just skyrocketed up again of, you know, people putting gloves on constantly and masks and, and bagging, you know, little mochi balls in the, in the grocery store. I mean, it's, yeah, that, that side I'm not too pleased about, but maybe future hemp will, will be one of those um, inputs that can, can reinvent that plastic side of the supply chain. So I think it'll happen. People yeah. can go check out hempplastic.com and see what the hemp plastic company is doing because those guys have been working on it for a while and, and they're putting material out there and they're offsetting 100% petroleum plastic to now it's 75% petroleum plastic and 25% bio-based with hemp. So which is, it's a start. It's a start. You got to start somewhere. Move the needle. Definitely. Well, why don't we look at getting Chad into the mix here and you want to let folks know about Chad? Yeah. So Chad Rosen is the founder and CEO of Victory Hemp Foods, a business to business primary food ingredient processing company that develops innovative technology to manufacture hemp grain into premier proteins and oils for applications in food and beverage, skincare and cosmetics and animal nutrition. Victory Hemp Foods won the 2020 Hemp Innovation Challenge at the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California, for the development of two proprietary ingredients, V70 hemp heart protein and V1 hemp heart protein. In addition to leading his company's growth over the past five years, Chad has worked as an industry-wide advocate within the U.S. hemp grain supply chain and market 
and is dedicated to developing hemp grain as a significant and positive addition to American agriculture. All right. Well, let's get Chad up here and have a conversation with him. Absolutely. And welcome back to Let's Talk Hemp, volume up. I am your host, Morris Beagle, here with Annie Rouse, and we got Chad Rosen from Victory Hemp Foods. How are you doing today, Chad? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Coming out of the gate swinging here in 2021. How was 2020 for Victory Hemp Foods? What would that look like for you? Oh, boy, yeah. 2020, I, you know, 2020 was unprecedented. Is that the word? Is If there's one word everyone gets to use for 2020, it was unprecedented. I'll use it, too. I mean, it was just a crazy year. It was full of ups and downs. You know, as a company and as a business, you know, we hit a bunch of milestones. So I'm uh, it, looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty thrilled with, with how things turned out. We, we doubled our workforce. So we're now, you know, a work, we're, we're a team of 26 strong which is, 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 is damn exciting. Um, you know, we, we had set out to create jobs in rural America and we're doing just that. Um, so that was, that was great. We're running three shifts, five and a half days a week to, you know, keep up with demand, you know, revenue did the same. We doubled revenue from 20, from 2019 to 2020 commercialized the production of our V70, which is, you know, we're learning it's, it's, it's even more, it's even higher in protein content than we'd originally anticipated. So we're seeing protein levels of, um, 75% at least more like 78% in most batches, which is, is, is really great. We just have to kind of make sure that it's consistent. I don't know. We added some amazing board uh, members that are that are that are you know they're positioning us for growth by bringing an extraordinary amount of wisdom and expertise to a team that you know is is learning as we go. Really, to be perfectly honest, so that was great. We 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 navigated a, a COVID shutdown in in August, which was absolutely dreadfully frightening. One of our team members went to to the hospital. They got so ill. In response, we we came up with the COVID task force. So our you know, we have a couple science, we have three scientists on our team. So they're, they're leading this COVID task force and kind of, we write our own policies to make sure everyone's safe. But it, it was, you know, it was a lot, that was the, a lot of the reality came home to roost of what it's like being in manufacturing. You're working in really close, cl close and closed environment uh, where a lot of companies have, you know, the carpet uh, workers can, and I saw, I, I call them carpet workers, carpet versus concrete, right? So the people that work in the office are carpet and the people that work on the shop floor are concrete. And, you know, some people can bifurcate and everyone can work from home from the comfort of their, 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 their home computer and zoom, and then others have to go into work. And so that, that, that's kind of the reality that we're living in. If we want to be making money, if we want to keep our doors open, we have to be going to work. So we had to take extraordinary precautions. So yeah, that, that was challenging. And, and, and I'm, myself wasn't let out of 2020 without one last test of my resolve. And in the final days of the year, I, I, I became sick with COVID. I'm, I'm, I'm on the mend. I'm on the heel. We're, we're all good, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting the year without any, with a lack of smell and taste, which is, you know, very disorienting. So I, in the food industry, I mean, you got to taste your product, <laughs> right? It's yeah. I mean, luckily, Luckily, I, I got I got I got a couple people that, are, that 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 know what the stuff tastes like, and so I can rely on on others. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely taking the uh, taking the fun out of smelling the fresh hemp seeds. Well, um, I thought V70 was tasteless anyway. 
that's true that's true that's a good point <laughs> i was just making a funny but yeah no it's it, it you know so anyways we're we're good you know we're, we're starting out the year strong we're optimistic that we're gonna keep on this trajectory of growing we're looking for a new home that's pretty exciting but yeah, I, I think that, you know, given the ups and downs of 2020 all up, you know, we had very little in terms of in terms of raw material outages or shortages. We we fulfilled on most of our contracts. We have a couple big uh, customers that we continue to deliver on. We were, you know, late at times, but I think that everyone understood that 2020 it was just going to take a little bit longer to get things done. So. So yeah, I, I couldn't be I couldn't be more excited to be to to have gotten through the year and heading into 2021 with a really clear clear head of steam. Well, you you guys have got some amazing products that are coming out the down the pipeline and and are in commerce much different than the traditional products like your hemp hearts and your hemp hemp seed oil and your hemp protein. Can you talk about your your V70 hemp protein and and sure. the, um, the oil that comes along with it? Yeah, no, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so so the V70 and the V1 which, you know, we affectionately say comes off the V liner. They're a little bit different. They're a lot different in fact than the, most of the commodity ingredients that best in class ingredients that we're used to in the hemp food industry. And we make them from the heart, from the the germ of the hemp seed. So right, we're we're deoiling the hemp seed. We've got a proprietary process. Um, we filed provisional patents around that proprietary process. We don't use any solvents, the uh, harmful solvents, so we're able to maintain an organic certification with the process and it basically bifurcates the oil and the protein, fractionates them so that you get a really, really clean protein that, as I said, is 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 up to 78% in some batches and consistently around 75%. And that uh, hemp heart oil on the other side of it is a really clean oil. It's not doesn't have any of the, the the residual chlorophyll that comes from the shell, doesn't have any of the, the, the polyphenols or tannins. So we see an increase in the shelf life, which is really a, a great improvement just to being used and it's, its usefulness in the market. And the protein, we're getting you know phenomenal feedback from the market, from the formulators who are using it in a variety of applications from baked goods to meat analog, beverages. And the the excitement from our customers is, is only exceeding by our excitement as a company to have people knocking at our door that you know we thought we you know we only we only aspired to ever be working with so i think that you know our goal right now is is really just to to keep making the product making more of the product increasing our capacity you know we 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 can't keep up with our i mean we're 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 about 6 months out on orders with the V70 and uh and so yeah so i think that 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 we really really hit on a winner and 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 excited to keep growing what? Yeah, I know. I'm I'm very excited about the uh, V70 as a as a buyer myself. Um, Thank you. Through, uh, through my company Anavi, we're about to launch uh, the V70 protein, so we're we're looking forward to that. The people that I've passed it around to, some of which are, you know, have either started food products or work in the food space, they they have the similar reaction of "Whoa, this is fire!" or you know, "This is." This is amazing. We like that. You know, the yeah. nutrition that's in it is just, it's, it's incredible. And then that taste is, you know, Morris, you said it, it, it doesn't, it's tasteless, but it actually, I think, has a little sweet aftertaste, yep. which uh, is quite palatable for sure. Yeah. What kind of beverages is this being used in? Uh, mostly like uh, dairy analog. Okay. So, you know, think, think, think. I've I've seen some folks using it as uh, developers using it for like a kefir substitute because it gets pretty thick pretty quick. Some sports beverage, yeah, like 
dairy analog kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, we're not at the point where, so in our pipeline of development, right now we're like fully commercialized on the V70 and the V1, but we're in development in R&D on an isolate. So that basically just means modifying the proteins and the precursor to uh, an isolate is your your concentrate, which is 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 what the V70 is. It's a, it's a protein concentrate. So then you, you essentially modify the proteins and there's a few different techniques for modifying those proteins. But when we do that, you're making the, the uh, protein molecules so small that they'll suspend in water. So you don't get that sedimentation on the bottom, which is viewed in, in some circles as a product defect. So once we get there, the products, you know, the, the, the protein can be used in, 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 in products like vitamin waters where they need full suspension to have that clarity. So we're not, we're not quite there yet, but, um, I, I think that 2022 towards the end of 2022, we'll have equipment and be launching the, 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 the fully soluble proteins, which will be really exciting development as well. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, Victory Hemp is based in out, just outside of Louisville in Carrollton, Kentucky. Yep. Um, what other states are you guys working in, either growing or, or processing? And, and how many acres are you guys intending to contract for 2021? Well, so I'll start with the last bit first. That we're going to consume in 2021 uh, about 5,000 acres worth of grain if you're using a 1,000-pound yield. That is... I don't, we're not going to end up contracting all of that. We'll probably contract about half of it and we'll probably buy the rest on spot. There's just an enormous amount of grain that we've seen every single year. There's a lot of grain that gets contracted, that meets quality specs, but doesn't have a home. We actually make a lot of good relationships with growers because they, they don't have a market for their product and we end up, we end up being able to take it. So We'll end up contracting in, um, we're writing contracts right now in Michigan. Um, we're writing contracts in Indiana. We're writing contracts in, 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 in Montana. And I think we're going to end up writing pending a couple contracts in North Dakota. We're, we're pretty early in the supply chain developing. And one of the kind of criticalities of making sure that we can bring this crop into the rotation and have products that, are, that can compete on a cost basis with other alternative plant proteins, because that's what this is. It's a plant protein and it has to go up against pea protein, soy protein, chickpea protein, and others is, is, is obviously functionality, is sensory, so flavor, and then price point. And, you know, hopefully we're able to get a few shekels more for the fact that we're investing a little bit more in a transparent and regenerative supply chain. The, the challenge with the economics is every region, not every region, but a lot of re- regions are going to be, uh, are going to have different outcomes with how they produce. So some genetics are going to work better in some areas than another. Some supply chains are going to have more processing infrastructure than others. We did a lot of hauling last year, hauling full truckloads of seed all the way from Montana to Kentucky. And when you're dehulling, you barely have a 40% yield on your, your, your hearts, right? Which is the feedstock for our V70. And so, you know, if the truck is $5,000, you're essentially burning $3,000 or supporting the uh, trucking industry for, for, for every truckload. So it just, it, it, with, 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 with that amount of waste. So it's, it's a lot of money to be spending hauling grain around. And so having regional dehulling lines is really kind of part of our strategic 
outlook this year and cost reduction plan, which also allows us to leave more ha- more more money in the hands of our farmers. We have a group up in Michigan that we're actually pulling our um, dehulling line out of Kentucky and putting it up there. You know, we're not turning our backs on the Kentucky farmers, but it, it's it's really gone the way of using the grain that's here for oil. So we still we still do crush oil, and then also we're moving into new facilities. So if we do put another dehulling line, it'll be on the backs of making sure that Kentucky supply chain stands up. But, you know, like so many states, Kentucky's really followed the CBD market, right? And so it's been it's been challenging to have that conversation with growers who have expectations or have had really, really bad experiences growing CBD, not getting paid. Um, unfortunately, you know, our backyard is, is not as, as viable a, a, of a supply chain for victory as, as we had hoped. Well, well, Victory's done a great job there in Kentucky. You guys are certainly leaders out of that state. You guys in Hempwood, you know, the, the yeah. two coolest companies that are in Kentucky right now, at least from where I sit here in Colorado. Wait, wait a minute. I'm in Kentucky. Well, that, okay, I, I'm sorry. And and you and OP Innovates and Anavi and all of your companies. I'm sorry, Andy. Kentucky's got a Kentucky's got a lot of good players. We, yeah, we've, for but, sure. But, I, but, yeah. but we, yeah, we we appreciate that. We certainly, we certainly bit like like working with our neighbors in different states. This is uh, one love for sure. Lots of states are stepping up and hopefully finding their niches. And I think that over the course of the next couple of years, we'll see a lot of states really come into their own. Where, um, what about, I mean, so you guys are B Corp certified. You're a, a non-GMO kosher. Pro, you have organic. Are you finding challenges in, in being able to source the organic, enough organic to keep up with demand or um, how is the organic stream going? Yeah, that's that's an interesting, it's an interesting question and there's a lot of nuances to to answering that question when it, and the only thing I'm really talking about is organic. I will just make a correction. We're not B Corp certified. We're, we are a public benefit corporation. We didn't go through the whole B Corp um, process, but I did testify in Kentucky state Senate to petition them to uh, recognize public benefit corporations. Cause I do, I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. Maybe we'll get there someday, but it's a lot of paperwork. So right now we're, we got, a, we got a lot of fish to fry. Yeah. So as far as organic goes, you know, Annie, it's, it's a little bit, it comes back down to price point. Everyone wants organic, but at the price point that it costs, people don't want it that bad. That that's, you know, it, not, not every, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a limited market for it at the price points that we need to charge to make margins that are even less than what we would make with conventional. And there's a market for conventional. So all that to say, you know, we we do contract and we will contract probably about 25% of our overall contracts will be organic. And then we'll buy on spot where we have to. The price point is it's almost... 220% 220% more from conventional to organic. It's, it's, it's significantly more expensive. And I think people have a tough time swallowing that, that, that additional cost. But I think there's, there's opportunities to bring that down. I think genetics is a major prob, ma- major part of that, that equation. You know, and the other thing when it comes to organics, when it comes to pricing is it's, it's really like for a lot of farmers, it's highest and best use of their 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 ground um, and their operations. So, what can what else can they be growing? Where's corn? What are the yields that they're getting with corn? You know, what's hemp price paying? What's the yields they're getting with uh, pricing? So, one of the ba- major challenges with hemp right now for grain is yields are just extraordinarily inconsistent and on the low side. 
I don't, you know, I'd love to see what the annual production on, on hemp grain was. Of course, you know, it's really difficult to get any kind of data like that because the grain industry is pretty, pretty nascent still. And, 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 and there isn't much of, um, much volume behind it. So getting that, that critical data to understand what the price points consistently are is somewhat murky. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, I think that there's a, there's going to be, um, a good market for affordable organic grain, but we have to get better genetics and we have to be, get better agronomy behind it that makes sense yeah what are the standard i mean what's the difference in yield between um organic and and conventional you know there's not too much of a difference uh, to be perfectly honest because most of the production protocols that you're putting in place with growing conventional growing or and growing organic there aren't any pesticides or herbicides are labeled to my knowledge things are changing pretty quickly that would prevent you from maintaining organic certification. So it really has to do with the ground that folks are going into. Now, there is some really productive ground that organic farmers are utilizing that has really high nitrogen contents and lots of organic matter. So that's super beneficial to uh, hemp that's producing a grain. But on the conventional side, they can augment that with um, synthetic nitrogens, which, which, which are also a really good way to increase yield. But for the most part, yields are anywhere from 600 to a thousand pounds an acre I, and and i would say like most of the yields that we've seen are on the lower side is there any difference in nutritional value between the organic grain and the conventional grain that you've noticed no we don't we don't notice any i mean we run pesticide screens on everything on every every lot that comes in we run proximates on all lots that we receive so when i say proximates i'm talking about the balance of fat protein carbohydrates ash and of course moisture we don't we don't see any correlative differences between conventional and organic as i said before like the the one thing that i would really be we'd be looking for is the presence of of pesticides and and we don't see any we have on on either conventional or organic we haven't had any lots ever fail so most of our growers, I think, are running pretty good operations. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to let our listeners know about Victory Hemp, what you got coming up on the horizon? Or I would say get yourself a sample of, of the V70. Try it for yourself. You know, we're happy to, to send you a sample. You can just shoot an email to orders at victoryhempfoods.com. You can reach out to our sales and marketing partner, uh, Applied Food Sciences. They're, they're online. Taste the... Um, Taste, taste the truth on 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 the victory. Get get some religion on on the V70. I'd I'd love for your listeners to 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 look at is we have a a crowdfund campaign going on for a great farmer that we work with up in Michigan. They had a really tough season last year. Got rained out. Planted a bunch of. They're they're actually you know, working to become a regenerative organic certified farmer. They were one of the earliest organic farmers in their region of Caro, Michigan. It's they're they're work, working their way up to regenerative organic certified. And last year they had a, a really tough spring, had a lot of preventative plan in place, sorry, in the 2019 season. Then 2020, they were able to get cover crops in behind that. So they had a lot of nitrogen uh, in their soil when they planted the hemp. They had a pretty good harvest and good season. And they had contracts with Victory for over 400 acres. And they um, went to get their line of credit from their bank. And their their bank denied their line of credit on the hemp because had seen a lot of contracts get welched on by CBD farmers in their area, CBD processors in their area. So other farmers didn't get their crops pulled, picked up. It it left a bad taste in the bank's mouth. And at the, you know, at the 11th hour, they told our farmer that they weren't going to 
let him uh, draw on his line of credit with the victory contracts. So we uh, were, you know, we have agreement with them. We, we pay when we pull the grain, you know, we have 30 days, like with, with most of our farmers, once it pass, passes all the tests and everything for each lot, we, we, we cut a check, um, but he needs to get paid. He needs to get paid sooner. And it's putting all sorts of duress on his farm. So we launched a campaign on ghoststeward.com. It's to fund $170,000 worth of grain purchases. So all that money is going to Volmar Farms. You can read all about it uh, at gosteward.com forward slash farms forward slash victory dash hemp dash foods. I'll say it one more time. It's gosteward.com forward slash farms forward slash victory dash hemp dash foods. We haven't put anything on our um, on our social media. We just sent an email out to our friends and family, which I consider both of you friends and family. And wait a second. Oh my gosh, neither of you guys. What? I'm familiar with it though, because. Uh, well, snap too, it. buddy. We've already got 15% raised and we haven't even really started pushing. So, next, uh, so I'll send you guys the link. If you could blast it out to your networks, that would be, you know, tremendous. It's going to something that we all care a lot about. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a story that we're trying to get out there. It's a story that we're trying to show people that this is a real problem, trying to legitimize the, 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 the hemp. Um, industry and, and trying to get farmers support, grow this crop and bring it into the rotation. And it's kind of like organics used to be, right? Banks weren't, didn't, you know, when, when organic, when USDA certified organic first started, it was obviously legal and there was a market for it and there were processors for it. And there were certifications, but banks didn't want to lend because they didn't understand the risk profile. They didn't understand what the market was like. And the same is happening for regenerative practices and the same is happening for hemp, right? We know these are good tools. We know that they provide benefits to not only the growers uh, and the supply chain, but also the environment. And unfortunately, we have to get really creative in how we fund this business and this industry. And, and so the the guys at, at Ghost Steward have been tremendous partners for us. And as I said, 15, 15% of our total raise, we got $26,000 in the hopper that are all going to the Volmars to get the grain paid for. And this isn't a donation. Did I make that? I, I don't know if I made that clear or not, but it's not a donation. You earn money on it, right? So it's 6% APR. If you go to your you know, you want to go and, and, and make some money at the bank. I think a CD pays 0.75% on your money. So banks are, are are not the place to make money. We're paying 6%. You get a, a check every single month and that's 6% APR annualized return. So, you know, great, great way to invest in the industry, earn a little bit of money, uh, put your money to work, help us support our farmer and help support Victory bringing this, uh, this, this superfood into the rotation. That is awesome. Up on the yeah. website right now, checking it out. Awesome. So we will uh, we'll put that link in the all the info for the podcast. So just send that link over to me, and I think that's amazing what you guys are doing for farmers. And without the farmers, we're not going to have an industry. So it's great to see companies like Victory really out there supporting the farmers and going the extra mile to try to figure out how to make the funding happen. That's awesome. Good job. Without without let without let let's talk hemp. No one knows about it. So no, we appreciate you shining a, a spotlight on on what we're doing, Morris. You got to got to got to got to got to let the let the people know. Well, absolutely. We're still very early on in this industry, and all of us have been around here the last five or six years. We know each other. We're working together, and you know, we're just getting started. Keep doing what you're doing, and and be the the grain leader here in the United States. And let's get a lot of these states on board and. 
and keep kicking ass. That's it. Definitely. All right. Any other closing thoughts there, Chad or Annie? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Make it a great year. I look forward to seeing you and and Annie as as soon as uh, as soon as humanly possible. Maybe in Colorado. I hear that the note goes back on. I couldn't be more excited about that. I'll be all masked up and and alcohol wiped out and 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 in more <laughs> ways than one and uh, ready <laughs> ready to get down. It'll be like 2015 all over again when we first were in your kitchen with a bottle of whatever it was. Except we'll be rubbing ourselves with the alcohol this time. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us here, Chad. Have a great all right. day. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. NOCO Hemp Expo 2021 is happening in person March 25th through the 27th at the National Western Complex in Denver, Colorado. With over 300,000 square feet of indoor space and 85,000 square feet of outdoor space, we will be COVID compliant, socially distanced, and ready to bring live events back to the public. Exhibitor and sponsor registration is currently available and tickets are on sale now. For more information, visit nocohempexpo.com. Oh, it's always good to talk to Chad. I can't wait for all of us to get together and, and hang out again in person. For sure. Chad is uh, one of a kind. One of the first people, actually, that that I got to really meet when the industry started. Yeah, well, one of the first people I got to meet from Kentucky, I came out to the, I be- believe it was the HIA conference in 2015 and met Chad and Kentucky Hempsters and I believe you and Josh Hendricks and basically the whole Kentucky crew. And it was good hanging out with Chad. We were uh, in his kitchen drinking bourbon. It's the Kentucky way. I was initiated correctly. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, Chad's got some great things going on with Victory, and I'm excited to watch his progress and see where he's going. So hopefully there's more Chads that pop up in the coming years. Yeah, that uh, the V70 hemp heart protein really is a remarkable product. Um, I'm excited to have Anavi showcase it within our um, our online marketplace and and you know be able to be the B to C um, you know direct line to the consumers to start using it in, in all kinds of different recipes and and uh, food ingredients in, in everyone's kitchen. Well, we're going to continue the grain conversation, and we're going to get Morgan Elliott up and let me find Morgan's information here. So Morgan Elliott is a founding partner of IND Hemp, which is a Montana-based hemp food and fiber company located in Fort Benton. She is vice president of operations and has constructed and commissioned the largest hemp seed processing plant in the United States. Morgan graduated from the University of Missouri with a bachelor's in chemical engineering, then worked for Archer Daniels Midland in Decatur, Illinois, launching her career in agriculture and food processing. Morgan and her father, Ken Elliott, founded IND Hemp with a mission to create new and rewarding opportunities for rural agriculture communities and started to see the fruits of their labor in the farms and families they contract and work with. IND Hemp is also finishing up construction on one of the largest primary decortication facilities in the United States. And Morgan keeps full-time busy with day-to-day operations, but also enjoys the outdoors, her dogs, and the great Montana lifestyle. So let's get Morgan up here and talk more about hemp grain, hemp fiber, and even the Hemp Feed Coalition. (music) 
Welcome back to the first episode of the new season of the Let's Talk Hemp podcast volume up. And we have Morgan Elliott from IND Hemp. How are you doing today, Morgan? I'm good. Thanks for having me on here. Well, you're welcome. It's great to have you on here. And I want you to uh, let our listeners know a little bit about what IND Hemp does and how and when the company started. Yeah. So IND Hemp, uh, short for industrial hemp, we're in uh, north central Montana and we're specifically with grain and fiber processing. So um, my background, I'm a chemical engineer and came from the University of Missouri and worked for ADM for several years. And uh, my dad in 2015, 2016 kind of timeframe started getting into hemp. And I kind of always thought he was a little crazy and like, yeah, whatever, you know, you and your your hemp thing. And then 2018 kind of came around and I was going through some career changes and going through some stuff, engaging with my dad and working with my dad would be a pretty cool thing. So kind of dove in with, with both feet and we started this company. And so you know, we really have a heart to help Montana farmers is, is why we got into this in the first place and diversifying our crops and having an opportunity for farmers to have a little bit more money back in their pocket at the end of the day. You know, I, I come from a background in big ag and I just know how sometimes the, the farmer many times actually gets the short end of the stick. So we're a mission driven business that wants to try and change that uh, dynamic. And um, we found a space in hemp that really worked well. You know, my dad had kind of made a name for himself in the state for kind of being the hemp expert. His background is in environmental work. And as, as we know, hemp's a great phytoremediation plant. You know, all I, I said when he kind of came to me with the idea was like, well, I, I can build a plant for you, but that's that's about all I can do. And so my experience and um, my my training really led me to help build the the facility for us. And it's kind of snowballed since basically, you know, hemp was legalized in 2018 and it's been all hands on deck, work as hard as you can, as fast as you can and burn it, the candle on both ends of the stick pretty much every day since then. We're trying to keep things going. We've got our oil seed facility up here and we just started our fiber processing facility construction, which is a huge undertaking. You know, we're erecting a 52,000 square foot building, which is literally getting roof shingles or paneling right now. So pretty much anytime I have a moment to, to breathe, I'm thinking about something going on here. So. Wow, it sounds like you really have your hands full, <laughs> especially um, you know moving into the fiber side as well. That's that's very exciting. Um, how many acres did you all contract in 2020, and what are you expecting to contract in 2021? Yeah, so our first year contracting was actually 2019, and that was kind of in the middle of our our uh, commissioning of our oil seed facility, and so we contracted about 3,500 acres in 2019. And then 2020, we were up and running. Um, we actually started construction on our dehauling line. So we don't not only do cold press expelling, but we also do dehauling and, and have hemp parts as well. And so we contracted about 10,000 acres in 2020. And then in 2021, we're hoping to, to contract about 15,000 acres to have our plant running kind of at full tilt, but with the hopes of, of growing into that um, our fiber facility should be up and running Q3 2021. So I anticipate that we'll be contracting actually 2022 for, for that production schedule. So, you know, that facility can, will have a capacity to probably process between 30 and 40,000 acres, depending on acres yields up here. We're targeting that dual crop scenario. So most of our grain growers are putting in these dual crop varieties We've found to like variety called X59. It's out of Canada and um, it's done really well up here. So it grows between like four to six foot tall. So they, they cut that top grain head off and then they have that residual straw in the field that we're going to try to take advantage of. And 
say back to that initial, you know, mission statement of trying to put more money back in these farmers' pockets and the idea of a cash crop that you can also get a byproduct off of is pretty exciting for these guys. That is really exciting. I, I think I remember that X fifty nine crop when I was studying up in Canada. They were growing it in Alberta, which makes sense with you all being in Alberta in Montana, pretty similar geographic region. So is the tell can you tell us a little bit more about the hemp seed processing setup and then the fiber setup? Are they uh, next to each other so that you can easily have that transportation in and out? And are you doing just bulk, bulk processing of the hemp grain? And then what are you expecting to get out of the fiber side? Yeah. So we're in Fort Benton, Montana. It's um, about 1500 people. It's a pretty small town. We're about 30 minutes outside of Great Falls and it's, you know, value-added process or value-added ag is big around here. We're in the heart of the Golden Triangle. And so we're surrounded by by ranches and farms. And so our facilities are just across the street from one another. The oil seed facility is on about a, you know, 14-acre plot. And our fiber facility is on about a 10-acre plot. Literally just looks right down on onto one another, um, which is really nice since I'm kind of back and forth between the two. And then our office is literally just on the side street of one of them. And so at the oil facility, we're bringing in bulk grain from grain trucks. You know, these are 40,000 plus trucks coming in and we unload and, and then clean. And then we either choose to go to our oil seed side, um, which I, the cold press expelling or to our, our hauling line where we're removing the shells and having that hemp part um, final finished product. So it's a state of the art food grade facility. Um, my background with ADM, I worked in a lot of food grade facilities and kind of had that infrastructure design build in mind when we went to, to design the facility. So it's, we can process, um, I'd say we're probably the largest capacity for uh, strict hemp seed oil in, um, in the United States at this point. So we're really competing with the Canadians. Our fiber facility at the same time is going to be probably the largest up and running um, primary decortication facility when it comes online. I know there's a lot of people getting into it. So we may not be able to hold that title very long, but we're, we're really excited about it. And it's a big deal for us. And it's a big deal for Montana. As you guys probably know, decortication is that first step of separating the herd and the fiber from the straw that we bring in off the field. And that's really that, that necessary processing point that right now is lacking in, in the United States. And so a lot of people are excited about fiber for textiles and all these other applications. But if you don't have the fiber to work with in the first place, we can't get there. And so it's all these secondary processors and these ideas and these end consumers that get really excited about hemp. Um, but we're lacking that critical piece in between to do that primary decortication. And so we've worked with Trey Riddle from Sunstrain. We have a really great relationship with him and he's helped us. Um, we've consulted with him on some things. We've got some equipment that we've purchased. Um, we work with a LaRoche line. We've got a five ton an hour line coming in. Coming out of that line, we'll have baled fiber and then a couple of choices of, of uh, hemp herd. Obviously, animal bedding is a, a big volume of that product. But also we're sizing the herd, so running it through some milling equipment and some cleaning equipment so that we can go into bioplastics and other um, biocomposites. Wow. It's all fit really new to me. Um, for me, food and protein and uh, oil kind of was what I started my career in, so that was very much speaking the same language. But thankfully, Trey's been great to, to mentor me along a little bit and teach me just the technologies that are available in the process. You know, what I always say is the equipment part and the processing part, that's that's the easy stuff. It's all the things that add up to it that we're really learning is so critical. And at the very heart of all of that is your relationship with your growers and having the supply chain to really sustain those facilities. Because 
if you don't have seed or grain available to purchase or straw to purchase, like it doesn't matter how great your facility is and how state of the art or how efficient it is, you're not going to make anything. That's why we really focused on that first primary part of the supply chain. We really focused on our farmers. You know, one of the first people we hired was an agronomist, just trying to really, you know, stand beside these guys because they're they're This is a new crop for them. They don't know how to integrate it into their operations. And that comes with a lot of growing pains. So just as, as we are learning on the operation side and learning how to optimize and be more efficient, we're doing the same thing in the field and trying to do that with our growers as well. Are you processing both conventional and organic material? We are. Yeah, there's a huge demand for organic. Obviously, I think you know that's worldwide right now. There's a shortage of organic hemp, and we've really seen it. And actually, Montana leads the nation in, in like organic wheat production and um, organic acreage. So we kind of it's very serendipitous, you know, how we got here, and uh, it just makes a lot of sense in the diversity of the crops that we have here and the operations already here. But on top of that, we have acres, the available acres in, in this area, in the Golden Triangle specifically, really help us to be, I think, a, a leader in the supply chain for for those things. That's awesome. And when you talk about yeah. the Golden Triangle, does that also go into some other states that you're getting material from? No, like if you take a look at the state of Montana, there's kind of an intersection from some major roadways, Great Falls kind of being like the pinnacle of, of this triangle. And it's one of the most producing, if not the most producing wheat um, and barley areas in the country. And Miller Coors has a malting facility here. A lot of uh, malt and barley that you guys get in your beers is, is coming from this area. I thought uh, when I was talking to Greg Necco, he, uh, I thought that there was some material coming in from Eastern Washington this last year. Is that not correct or is that correct? No, it is. Um, you know, just obviously I'm, I'm kind of biased to Montana because sure. that's where I live now. But we understand and recognize like there's a huge like just opportunity in um, the Northwest region in general. So we did contract with a handful of growers over in Eastern Washington and Oregon. And actually one of our highest producing fields was over in Eastern Washington. You know, it's just totally different farming practices though. I'm pretty new to the farming thing, so I'm not gonna try and speak too much to it, but they have a rolling hill country over there. And so the way that their uh, equipment is set up and, you know, they really do, they farm on the, on the hills differently because of one side gets more sun and one side gets more shade. So it's very different um, agronomy style and practices uh, over here in Montana. We're kind of the plains. And so it's pretty flat. They also have more fertility, just the soil type over there. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. The precipitation is different, but as a whole, the Northwest region has a lot of opportunity. And we've seen, like you mentioned, you know, the, the Northern latitudes, just in Alberta, across the you know across the border, right there, we've been so successful at these um, genetics, and so it makes sense that we're doing it well in Eastern Washington and Oregon as well. That's that's awesome. Congratulations! And I've been watching from afar here in Colorado, and kind of jealous that we don't have something set up like that here. But oh, we're thank gonna you. Catch up to you. <laughs> <Hopefully. laughs> well, you know, we've kind of been flying under the radar because yeah, you know, it's definitely one of those things that quite honestly, when we got into it, like, what are we getting into here? Right. So we didn't want to kind of get out in front of ourselves and, you know, toot our horn when we didn't really even know what we were talking about. And, you know, there's still a lot of times that we don't know what we're talking about, but I, I think we're at a point now where um, we've learned a lot and we're trying to take care of the people that, you know, I think have unfortunately haven't had an advocate, right. The, the farmers and the people that um, are really just trying to use this as a crop to, to better their operations. 
So we're kind of coming out from under the rock. I think we have a lot of great things to share with people. Hopefully they trust us as someone that wants to um, advocate for them, give them good information. We try to be as collaborative as possible. You know, we're constantly looking for strategic partners because we can't do it all ourselves. We don't want to do it all of ourselves, right? Like we don't need to be the whole supply chain. There's a lot of great things to be fully vertically integrated, but there's also a lot of things that you you miss when you do that and um, leveraging people for their expertise and what they're good at and their strengths and the companies, you know, geography and where you're located and distribution. Like these are all critical pieces that need to be played and being in the middle of nowhere in Montana doesn't necessarily always uh, make things easy. So we try to find partners and, honestly be as collective and collaborative and share information because we don't need more train wrecks. We don't need more people learning the hard way. You know, Canada's got 20 years on us. Let's like pull our forces together and let's compete with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, bringing Trey onto your team, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys are, are working with him. He's got uh, a really great mind around, around the hemp fiber. That's yeah. Great. He's a wealth of knowledge. Yep. I've absolutely known Trey for years now and he spoke at numerous events that I've been involved with and always been a big fan of Trey and it's good to see him resurface and helping you guys out and you're getting the LaRoche machine in there so lots of good things to look forward to Um, yeah I want to jump uh, jump to another thing real quick here let's uh, talk a little bit about the animal feed coalition and uh, advocating for hemp to be approved feedstock for like cattle and pigs and chickens. And uh, can you let our listeners know kind of what's up with the hemp feed coalition and the FDA and USDA in regards to this being a feedstock for animals? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, those regulatory regulatory hurdles are always going to be in front of us, it seems like. And this is a, a clear picture of that. So for many of your listeners that may not know, you know, uh, we do have grass notices that are out there that you and I can have hemp seed foods. So hemp hearts, hemp oil, the seed itself. We don't have any issues um, digesting it or putting it into our, our supply chain. But as soon as I try and f- feed it to a pig or a horse or a dog, somebody in the government says I can't do that. Um, and so the Hemp Feed Coalition has been uh, an effort that's been going on for several years now. And they are a collection of people from all over the industry, both in the hemp industry and other nutrition and, and feed industries um, that recognize that this is, you know, really a disservice to the, the feed supply chain. And this is a nutritious product that should be available um, to animals. And unfortunately, there's a pretty lengthy process to make that happen. Um, so AFCO is one of these organizations that helps um, state departments of agriculture uh, review ingredients and then decide whether or not it's safe. And they work with FDA as well as the um, CVM Center for Veterinary Medicine to basically evaluate these ingredients and then, like I said, say if it's safe or not and at what ration and, and inclusion rate and things like that. So um, our first ingredient submission that we um, thankfully got forward the end of last year was uh, an ingredient for hemp seed meal, which is the byproduct off of cold pressed expelling for chickens specifically, laying hens. To add to the the complexity of like getting it approved, not only do you have to get it approved for each ingredient, so meal, oil, hearts, etc., you also have to get it approved for each individual species. So not just chickens, but laying hens, and then you can go to broilers, and then dairy cows, and then um, beef cows, things like that. So it's a very long and arduous process, but we got to chip away at it slowly but surely. 
Um, and the coalition is really a great way to leverage all the, the data and experience and, um, you know, industry leaders that are out there because it's it, not only is it time consuming, but it's very expensive. You have to have data to support it. You have to have university studies. Um, you have to have FDA's input on what your protocols and methods are. So there's just a lot of parts and um, pieces that have to be in the right place. And that's just far too much for one, one person or one entity to do. So Hemp Feed Coalition's done a fantastic job. I know that we've learned a lot in the last year. Um, we're moving forward trying to get uh, ruminants, which is uh, like lamb and sheep and cows. That's one of the next target species we're working on. We've got universities, um, Oregon State and Kansas State and CSU, um, North Carolina State, NDSU. Um, so a lot of different entities that are trying to help out and really push forward um, this collection of data and efforts because like I said, it's a really nutritious product that should, there's no reason it shouldn't be in the feed supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the National Geographic did a, an article on, on animal feed a while ago, and they were saying that like 3% of a cow's diet can actually come from candy. So it's like one of those insane things where how is it possible that a cow can eat up to 3% of, you know, Skittles, whereas it can't eat hemp you know, food, something that's actually grown from the ground and, and is not highly processed and manufactured. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, and it's not even candy. It's like candy wrappers, like the things that end up in <sighs> like the most random things. Like there's an allowable limit for trash that's like in, in some cattle and feedstock. And I'm, I'm not dismissing, like there's a lot going on and we, that we don't know about that, you know, just yeah. the nature of the beast and like cows are pretty hardy animals. So I think they're doing okay. Right. And so it is, it's ridiculous that I, when I'm just like, Hey, can I sell my byproduct to my neighbor? Who's got a cow that like, this could be a great, you know, nutritious product for them to incorporate in their feed. And I, I can't do it. So. Mm -hmm. Is there a website yeah. that people can go to, to find out more information? Yeah. If you go to hempfeedcoalition.org, um, it's a really well done website. I can't take any credit for it, but I like to send people there. Um, they've done a fantastic job. And if you kind of scroll down, there's a getting involved tab, um, or section that you can kind of pick and choose. And, you know, equine market is another thing. We've got a huge demand from the equine market because they see such uh, great results from incorporating, you know, the, the omegas um, in the oil and the protein that's there. They're seeing such good feedback. So, you know, we're not even talking about cannabinoids and the, um, you know, opportunities that are there. We're just strictly talking about the seed, like the easiest mm -hmm. ingredient that we should have no problem um, introducing so we're really at ground level. I know there's a lot of CBD companies out there that are pushing for dog treats and cat treats and horse treats. And, you know, we wish them all the luck and efforts because there's a big market there. And I, I think that um, there's no reason that we shouldn't be using that for the nutritional value and medicinal value that those bring. But at the heart of this, you, you kind of feels like it's ridiculous that we have to say it, that you can't feed the seed that they would find out on the ground anyways. Mm -hmm. um, but it's part of it. There's some cool historical, I'm a big research geek, and there's some really nice historical archives in Kentucky that I've come across. And one of them was actually talking about um, a farmer back in 1914 who had had a really low germination seed stock. And they were actually talking about, oh, well, you know, it's not really suitable for the fields, but you can use it as a chicken feed, you know? And it's like, this is living proof that this was something, you know, that was. So let's make it happen again. So that it's great that you guys are working on that and pushing the, the grain and fiber side forward um, because it's definitely been a little lost in the, in the CBD boom in the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. I mean, like 
really the whole reason Hemp Bee Coalition got together was because there's so many of these growers you know, hemp seed is a little finicky um, to when you store it, you, you have to keep it at low moistures. It will lose germination quickly, you know, compared to some of these other grains like wheat, you could leave in a bin. As long as it's dry, you can leave wheat in a bin for like 50 years and like it never degrades. Um, but the, um, sorry, my computers, uh, there we go. Uh, the thing that the hemp is having an issue with is, you know, we, we have moldy seed and we don't know what to do anything with. And so that's, I think, really why the Hempy Coalition started to begin with is these growers were sitting with bins full of moldy seed with nowhere to take it. And I mean, it, there's an allowable limit of aflatoxins and mycotoxins that animals can digest. Like mold is everywhere. People should not be scared of mold. Look at your cheese, right? We, we digest a lot of mold. So I know people might be a little scared when I say that, but mold's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's you know a crime to see these farmers that are having to find a way to get rid of a bin that's got, you know, 40,000 pounds plus of seed that they can't do anything with. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with today? Anything on the horizon for end hemp that you haven't covered? Uh, you mean IND hemp? I mean, IND <laughs> hemp. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, um, like I said, 2020 has been a hard year for everyone. And I think a lot of people miss uh, interacting and you know, meeting at conferences and whatnot. So hopefully 2021, we can change that. You know, one of our missions uh, and our goals for 2021 was just getting out in front of people and trying to really be a leader in the advocate advocacy realm for grain and fiber specifically. Because um, I think hemp's gotten a bad rap. You know, first it was because we everyone thought we were marijuana, and you know, in a lot of respects, now people think we're we're CBD or CBD cannabinoid companies. And I don't have anything against them, but unfortunately, there's a lot of bad actors out there, and, and they just didn't do a good job of representing the industry. And so now we, it's really an opportunity for us to have um, the platform. And I think, you know, someone's going to have a microphone. It might as well be people that, you know, are, are morally convicted to, to work well together, to collaborate in team effort. And hopefully IND Hemp is known for that. And you guys enjoy working with us and collaborating with us and looking to us for some good sourced um, hemp, hemp food products and hopefully hemp feed products soon. Awesome. Excellent. Well said. Very much so. Well, thanks for being on the show today. You're kicking off. Yeah, I appreciate it. For us. Thank you, guys. Hope you guys have a great year. Likewise. All right. You too. Thanks again, Morgan. Appreciate it. Thanks. No matter what side of the fence you sit, we can all agree that hemp is good for this country. Whether it's the new opportunities it presents for our farmers, the jobs it creates in our communities, the health products that are entering the marketplace, or the positive environmental impact it has on this planet. There are endless reasons to be a friend of hemp. Please join Friends of Hemp today to connect with others who are cheering hemp forward. Visit friendsofhemp.org to learn how you can become a friend of hemp. And it was great to have Morgan from IND Hemp join us from the great state of Montana. What'd you think there, Annie? It's so impressive that they're able to uh, really build a ground for both the, the food and the fiber side. I mean, um, the food side alone is is challenging, but taken on both, I'm, I'm excited to see what what comes of it. And I think with the talent that they that Meg Morgan was uh, describing was they'll they'll be able to pull it off. So it, it's good to see them. Uh, entering into that fiber side and and growing that that part of the the plant. Did you know that Montana had the most organic acreage out of any state? No, would have imagined that. I always think of mountains when I think of Montana. So honestly, just the whole agricultural side is kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I haven't spent hardly any time in Montana, so I'm not no. that familiar with it at all. Uh, but I look forward to yeah. going to check out their facility. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it sounds like it, it's going to be a, a good sight to see, and hopefully they can um, you know really make something of the decortication side. There's so many opportunities with fiber that are are untapped, and it'd be good to be able to have some of that you know value add in the United States. So much of it is all overseas at this point being able to make automotive components or or guitars like you're doing i mean that that's like whoa i mean natural fibers here we come natural fibers exactly then we can do paper and packaging and composites and plastics and building materials animal bedding plenty of Mm -hmm. things that we can do with that stock absolutely absorption i mean the absorption material alone i mean there's you know oil spills and Yep. Spill suck. Oh yeah. Well, anyway, it's been a great first episode. I appreciate you coming on and joining me to kick off. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been awesome. And I can't wait to see you in person again, which will be soon at NOCO at the end of March. Yes. Yes. I will be there. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah. I know you were out here for it last year and then we couldn't have it but you were in i know i was ready to go it's like yes i don't have to even travel to get here i'm already here and then nope sorry you're gonna you're gonna have to wait this year 2021 the year of hemp it is we're getting past the covid and we're gonna be moving all this thing forward it's gonna be awesome yeah looking forward to it all right well thanks again annie and we'll be talking to you soon And that is going to wrap it up for the 2021 kickoff episode of Volume Up, the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. And I again want to thank Annie Rouse for co-hosting, along with Chad Rosen from Victory Hemp and Morgan Elliott from IND Hemp, for sharing their time and insight into the industry and what the future could hold. Be sure to check out letstalkhemp.com and subscribe to our weekly Let's Talk Hemp newsletter for the most up-to-date information on the hemp industry. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit that subscribe button on the player, share it with your friends and family, and if you're feeling it, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, or wherever you came across the show. If you are interested in sponsoring, advertising, or being a future guest, drop us a message to info at letstalkhemp.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time around. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.